The second James Bond movie established the globetrotting tradition that would follow and all the films after. Sean Connery is back, along with Terrence Young, in 1963 to battle against Red Grant and Spectre and Mother Russia as a whole in From Russia with Love. Podcasters, assemble. Good evening, 003. The following is for your ears only and is classified above top secret by Her Majesty's Secret Service. Our contact with the We Can Make This Work, probably, podcast network intercepted an encrypted audio message regarding podcasters assembled. For this season, the podcast network is looking to recruit field operatives from around the world to reminisce about the Bond movies and a countdown to the latest film in the franchise, No Time to Die. Your primary objective is to infiltrate podcasters assemble by recording and uploading your submissions at probablywork.com. Utilizing a two-way communications device with a built-in microphone, the latest from QBranch. For a full mission report, go to probablywork.com. We're all counting on you, 003. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History. Hi, this is Justin Aki, graphic designer and one half of Significant Otterco. This is Trotter Power. Hello, my name is MC from the best animated shows ever so far. My name's Bill from the Tarviran Podcast. This is Megan from Significant Otter Co. And today I am talking about From Russia with Love. From Russia with Love. From Russia with Love. From Russia with Love. And here we are. From Russia With Love is the second Bond movie, but it's actually the fifth book. Fresh off the heels from Doctor No, Bond is back, complete with Sean Connery. It stars Sean Connery as Bond. The second in the series. I think this is the first true Bond movie in the series. From Russia With Love has always been one of my favorite of the classic Bond movies. We get a pre-opening sequence, some actual gadgets, and Blofeld! Question mark? Uh, It takes the well-established character of James Bond from Dr. No and puts him into more of the globe-trotting spy thriller movie format that, that I'm used to with the later Bond franchise. Supposedly, Ian Fleming originally intended this to be the final James Bond novel. Which is funny because the follow-up book was actually Dr. No, which the first movie was based on. From Russia with Love was reportedly Sean Connery's favorite movie to film, and President John F. Kennedy's favorite book. It's actually one of the reasons they filmed this one right after Dr. No. I really like that this movie is all centered around Spectre trying to get revenge for the events of Dr. No. I think it's a cool bit of continuity in a franchise that really doesn't usually care too much about such things, but it's nice that they have that built into this one right from the beginning. It's a straightforward spy thriller, though it's getting super close to James Bond as we know and love. Travel, money penny, complicated villain plot, it's the best. This movie actually gives us our first cold open. I mean, the whole start of the movie looks like Bond's on this cool infiltration mission. We've got this interesting scene with what looks to be like a Russian training program. And then it turns out that it's a Spectre training camp. Now, how do I become a Spectre agent? Because the island where they're doing all of their training looks like so much fun. (laughs) We've got this lovely little scene where they're just walking along (laughs) through all this chaos where people are shooting things, having flamethrowers and fights and running over obstacle courses. And they kill Bond. 
The movie literally opens with Bond dying almost immediately, which is kind of a shock until you realize that it's just some random guy in a Sean Connery mask. My favorite kill is the opening sequence where Red Grant kills fake Bond with a garrote. Which, okay, on one hand, this is a cool way to grab the audience's attention, but if you really think about it for like half a second, what's the point of going through all that trouble getting a lifelike, accurate Bond mask if you're just going to kill the guy? The title sequence is pretty clever. What is with this belly dancer opening scene. It's sort of an early version of what we'll see later on in other movies. I mean, there is some belly dancing coming up later on in the movie. My god, this is grotesque to watch <laughs> with all the flashing lights on them. It's uh, it's definitely a very uh, male-orientated film, this one. James Bond's introduction into this movie actually comes quite a ways into things where he's out on a date with the same girl he was out with at the start of Dr. No. Sylvia Trench. Uh, yeah, Bond's uh, obviously looks like he's on one of the rivers in Cambridge and he's uh, seducing uh, one of his young fillies. And uh, this is kind of cool because we get unusual references back to Dr. No. She mentions like, last time you jumped on a plane and flew off to Jamaica, I didn't see you for six months. It's just like, oh, you know, you don't, you don't quite get that in Bond movies later on. But yeah, just a rare callback, which is kind of cool. Uh, and they're weirdly listening to the From Russia With Love theme song on the radio. So that song exists within the world of James Bond. That's weird. Um, but Bond's getting called back to base and he's like, oh, I'll be there in an hour. And she's like, James. And he's like, mm, make that an hour and a half. And then when he shows up at uh, HQ, immediately they're like, you're going to have to explain where you've been all day. You in trouble because you were getting late instead of doing your job. So the music, the music so far from the two Bond films that we've had have just been very, very good. It's really kind of set the tone for the whole movie and really giving it kind of like that local feel to it. I mentioned before with like, you know, uh, the Jamaican sounding tones with Dr. No and how even though it's not a song that's in the film, it like gets this Jamaican based song is stuck in my head. And it's the same with From Russia With Love. It's got this like very russian undertone to it you know i don't know whether it's just me being almost stereotypical of how we picture these sort of nations but it really does sort of yeah you just i don't know it just feels very very russian and when he's in other places like istanbul and then later in venice and uh zagreb like wherever he is it just they set the time so it feels like he's in that area um and yeah it's just like the whole film is just very very Russian feeling. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just the music plays a huge part in making you feel like you're part of that place. And it's very, very well done in both these movies. I didn't mention this last movie, Dr. No. But I think it's funny that they have an airport tower scene where the controller makes a long-distance call to London to announce that the plane has landed. Was this a thing they did back then? It's quaint. Nowadays, Sam Mendes just throws a font with the name of the country Bond landed at. A 
and this is the bit where they're recruiting the uh, the very very young uh, hot hot Bond girl. <laughs> so yes, Spectre trying to uh, unwittingly control the the Russian Bond girl for this film. And uh, yeah, there's a very uh, very uncomfortable knee touch here, where the, uh, the the woman, the the older lady who's from Spectre, is trying to recruit the younger lady, not into Spectre, but just like trick her to working for them, uh, in order to sort of bring Bond over, and then I should kill Bond later on. There's a very very uncomfortable knee touch where she starts uh, kind of touching up the young lady. I mean, she's she's a good looking girl, but hmm. <laughs> yeah, it all gets a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> And she tells her she has to do it or die. One of the things that this adds to the lore of James Bond that was missing in Dr. No is Q. We get the introduction of Q here. The first appearance of Q. I don't know the name of the actor who plays him. Desmond Llewellyn. I really 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 should know that favorite gadget was the periscope that looks into the russian consulate it's massive and somehow goes unnoticed also i love that he had a submarine periscope installed in the russian embassy where the hell does that come up does no one notice a small spyglass at floor height what is with the underground periscope that Bond seems to uh, only use for looking at women's legs this world was a strange place before Pornhub, <laughs> where people got their kicks but it's Q, and he shows up and he gives Bond this super cool spy briefcase. Uh, my favorite gadget is actually the briefcase Bond gets from Q. This movie has what I consider to be the ultimate Bond gadget, the briefcase. And this is one of my favorite Bond gadgets because it's, like, not ridiculous. It's a totally, like, practical and realistic thing. It's just got, like, it's a suitcase with secret compartments and a tiny little gas cartridge. That's it. That's all the suitcase is. But it, it works so well as, like, the first real gadget that James Bond uses. Q shows up to M's office and quickly briefs 007 on all the features of this completely tricked out briefcase. Uh, it has a hidden throwing knife, a gas canister. Oh, the tear gas talcum powder. Bond looks absolutely like he's shitting himself <laughs> when Q turns up and gives him this he's just like uh do I want this <laughs> this looks fucking dangerous the briefcase is pretty fantastic because it's grounded it feels like spycraft it doesn't feel like ridiculous laser watches and invisible cars it's just a suitcase with secret compartments a throwing knife a rifle some tear gas and a standard issue there's even a rifle in there that's all packed down into the stock or something oh and the AR-7 is a real rifle, but it's in 22 caliber, not 25. I mean, Q Ranch could have done something with it, but still, pretty cool you can buy a break-apart survival rifle. My wife would kill me if I started buying crap like that. Honorable mention goes to the 1960s version of a pager. It sent me down a rabbit hole of the history of pagers. And then the bit that was really, really cool was, check out the car phone Bond's got in the 60s. Oh my god, a car phone? A pager? Did this, I mean, was this something, was this actual technology in the 60s? Or was this something that Bond, Bond movies fought up and then became the thing later on in the 80s? Like, yeah, check out the car phone and he's banging 60s car. Another really cool gadget that actually shows up later in the film is what looks to be a mini recorder hidden in an old school camera. I thought that was kind of a cool podcast connection. 
In a way, it's kind of funny because nowadays we have cell phones, which are kind of like Bond gadgets in their own right. You've got a built-in microphone, built-in camera, GPS, it acts as a telephone, you can uh, access the internet. (laughs) And for the most part, cell phones have even replaced watches. Interesting fact, gold sovereigns in 1963 were about a quarter troy ounces of gold. Based on the cost of gold in 1963 and adjusting for inflation, that briefcase with 50 gold sovereigns would be worth about $3,498.58. That's a decent bribe for a cigarette. Bond's Guide for Checking a Room for Bugs First of all, only check the hanging pictures. Second, look at clocks. Third, look at light fixtures. Hmm, satisfied? Use a strange device on the phone to realise the phone's actually bugged, and then call up and get yourself into a bridal suite. (laughs) What was that strange device? (laughs) And why didn't he hold it over the pictures? Why only get that out for the final thing you're going to check, which is the phone? I mean, surely, surely there must be a more rigorous bug testing thing than that. (sighs) Yeah. It's just like, of course, if I was a spy and I was going to bug your room, I would just stick my bug behind a picture. I know, because no one's going to look there, are they? Are they, Bond? One of the things that I keep coming back to with From Rush With Love is that it's kind of low-key spycraft. It feels very grounded and real. I really like the fact that this is truly a Cold War-era spy film. This came out in 1963, and if you think about it, that's not a whole lot of time after the Cuban Missile Crisis. So it's pretty interesting if you consider that within that context. Favorite ally would be Karim Bey. Karim Bey is how I imagine real spy networks work. You got Ali Karim Bey, who is a Turkish ally. My friend, my friend. All the spies know each other, tail each other, but play by code. He just has some really great lines, and he's a big help to James Bond throughout his time in Istanbul. Trying to get one thing past someone is a win, not always just steamrolling the enemy. Coming off the seriousness of Dr. No, it was nice to have a comedic character that kind of got James Bond in a little trouble, but always got him out of trouble too. My favorite kill is probably that guy who gets sniped out by Kareem through the window. So the belly dancing scene, uh, as aforementioned, we have this uh, opening belly dancing scene with all these like weird flashing lights. We're now actually treated to a couple of belly dancers doing some belly dancing, and yeah. One of my favorite bits is the massive fight in the gypsy camp. There's a lot of good moments in this movie. Where he gets saved by Grant uh, from Spectre, the blonde guy. But I will say I hated the entire gypsy camp sequence. It just dragged down the movie. Favorite 007 moment? Probably the gypsy girl fight. Um, and then it felt like somewhere in the middle of making the movie, they're like, oh, we're, we don't have a big action scene here. What if we had like two girls belly dance knife fight to the death? But then the belly dancers start fighting. How much more exciting can we get? It's over the top. Their skirts go missing at one point and then reappear. Part of the beginning part, sorry to go back to the belly dancing vibe, uh, but the way the two women also like line up against each other, 
start circling. They have this weird tribal cat fight. And then that turns into a big gunfight where a whole bunch of people try and kill each other and the bad guy has to save James Bond's life. But uh, yeah, Betty does the fight. And then everything just absolutely goes to shit. <laughs> things start people start fighting each other things start exploding and it was all because uh, the belly dancers seemed to be part of some sort of weird underground resistance group as they're fighting one of them just suddenly shoots her guard on top of the thing and then all hell breaks loose what if we just put that in the middle and also in the middle of the fight Bond throws a grenade and oh my god what is wrong with him he throws it like by toddler <laughs> just like his overarm doesn't quite use the full arc of his arm just suddenly sort of releases it and it doesn't look like it really flies out of his hand very well but of course you know the resulting scene makes it look like it goes miles to blow people up but yeah he throws it like a toddler come on you're james bond you can throw better than that man the very end he's at the right place at the right time and he just gets to decide which one's the winner okay sure why not but i think it was funny that bond spent the night with two girls who were fighting over someone else totally ethical totally bond Bond gets back from his uh, belly fighting, knife fighting, gun fight competition vacation. Uh, there's a naked woman in his bed. You have Tatiana Romanova. And he knows for sure that this girl's a villain. You gotta remember that. In this movie, they're like, this is clearly a trap. This woman didn't fall in love with me from a file photo. This is a trap, 100%. And what does Bond do? Same thing he did when he met the villainous girl in the first movie. He hooks up with her anyway, because why wouldn't he? He's James Bond. It's what he does. So yeah, Bond's finally met up with this uh, young, hot Russian Bond girl for this film, and um, she's complaining her mouth's too big. And I'm like, I'm looking at it going, what? Your mouth's not big? What? What, what do you mean your mouth's big? What a weird thing to be hung up on. Oh, and then James is, as usual pumping his informants for their information there's actually i think there's a lot of great scenes between bond and tatiana there's a moment where she says but there are some english customs that are going to be changed and bond responds but of course they've got some good chemistry romanova is a great bond girl still useless like with honey rider and dr no but prettier i think and actually had a real job not just reading encyclopedias I'm not sure what the actual mission for her was, let James Bond steal the lector and we win, but she was dedicated and eventually flipped for him because of him abusing her. That's typical. And you can tell he doesn't trust her because he doesn't tell her the day they're actually going to set off bombs in the embassy and steal her and the lector out. He gives her a fake date because he doesn't trust her because he knows she's a villain. If there's one thing I could change about this movie, it would be to not have Bond slap a woman. Just not cool. Favorite side character is Kronstein. Uh, he's number five on of Spectre. He's the one that you see playing chess, and I guess he's supposed to be the strategist. And we are treated to a very, very serious, serious chess game. That's how you know this uh, this this film is like Russia based. And uh, he totally gets killed in this film i love the lead up to killing number five some random chess genius guy he fails so he gets kicked in the back of the leg with a poison blade 
probably my favorite uh, villain moment in all of this film is just the scenes with number one of Spectre, and he's just petting a cat. You see the white cat, and that's it. And, uh, yeah, Siamese fighting fish killing each other. Uh, yeah, you know, this is what did fun back in the 60s. They just had a tank, filled it with uh, Siamese fighting fish, and actually let them fight. I mean, they're expensive as well, you know. It's not... That's like $20 worth of fish that they're killing off there. Who's got $20 to burn like that? Uh, Favorite vehicle in this one is going to have to be the Orient Express. Finally, we end up on the train and uh, the bad guy reveals himself and has this great scene. A lot of the movie actually takes place on this train, and uh, I think it's really clever the way that it's used. Finally, Bond comes face-to-face with the Spectre spy who's been stalking throughout the whole movie. One of the best henchmen in the franchise, Red Grant. He's a bulky Soviet assassin sent to murder Bond. Red Grant is a fantastic villain. There's that moment on the train leading up to the fight where there's... Some pretty interesting tension between these two characters. They're sizing each other up. You can tell that Bond's kind of onto him, but doesn't want to reveal his hand just yet. And Grant is kind of just waiting for his moment to strike. An Irish serial killer that's been trained up to be basically an anti-spy. He stalked Bond, protected Bond, and eventually overpowered Bond. In fact, the whole villain plot of the movie is just to kill James Bond. I mean, yeah, there's also the subplot about the coding machine, but really that's more of a MacGuffin uh, within the grand scheme of things. I love his garrote from the watch, now a spy trope, but he catches on quick with the whole code phrase thing and him faking an English accent. He's supposed to be Irish, old man. Yeah. And they end up having this great fight inside of the train. The fight between the two is one of the most intimate and brutal confrontations, especially in the earlier films. And although it's a little bit cheesy at times, it also comes across as rather credible. We get to see the briefcase come into play, which is fantastic. And because it's so close combat, the like very 60s feel of the action that they're doing, it, it works well enough because they're in such a tight space that I think this fight scene mostly still holds up today. After the big fight between uh, Grant and Bond in the train, it's like this big fight and then Bond chokes him to death. At this point, Bond has killed the villain of the movie, right? Like, this is the agent that was stalking him throughout the whole movie. Can I ask where the train was going in the first place? It started off in Turkey and went through Yugoslavia. I looked online and modern trains, not whatever they were in, it's a 21-hour journey from Istanbul to Belgrade now. And then they eventually up near the coast in Croatia, close enough that they can get to Venice by boat. Where would this thing have originally ended up? And you think it's done with, but no. They get into the flower truck that this guy was supposed to use to escape, and a helicopter shows up and starts chasing him down and throwing grenades at him. James Bond almost gets run over by a helicopter like three or four times towards the end of the movie. Also, the guy in the helicopter had a freaking AK, but kept throwing grenades. That's pretty dumb. Just shoot him. And you're like, man, how's Bond gonna beat a helicopter chucking grenades at him? 
I'll tell you how, with a rifle. He snipes the dude in the helicopter who drops the grenade inside of the helicopter, and then he, he kills the helicopter with a snipe rifle. I've played enough Grand Theft Auto to know that is a very difficult thing to do. What, one shot from Bond's 22, I mean 25 caliber rifle, blows up an entire helicopter due to the aforementioned grenades. Now we get one of the big, big um, action scenes, another action scene in this film, with the, uh, the boat chase. Also, right at the end, there's this massive boat chase that's pretty cool as well that Bond seems to just, like, sail through fine. Again, I'm not much of a car person. I did notice there was a nice-looking Rolls-Royce in the beginning. Uh, I guess vehicle and kill could be mixed together because the boat chase, for me, was quite entertaining to watch. And then things aren't even over because then they get in the boat chase my favorite vehicle is the speedboat i guess overloaded with fuel you just know that's going to come up later and that fuel's going to be used for something so that's always cool to see where bonds releasing barrel after barrel after barrel into the water that have been shot and he's just full of boat gas what that is some sort of petrol um and he just sort of seems to give up for me, when they stopped, I was just yelling at the screen, being like, why did you stop? I mean, you know something bad's going to happen. And they have to do the Jaws thing, where they drop the barrels of oil behind them and use that to make a big explosion, and that's how they escape from them. And then as all the other boats slow down, he then uses a flare gun to ignite the barrels, which then sets all the other boats on fire. And the barrels of gas get shot by the flare and explode it becomes my favorite kill because just the dramatic screams of people jumping off the boat was just completely over the top and entertaining and this scene is really disturbing like they add in a lot of men really screaming <laughs> and it is dark like you watch this and it's just like you see this sort of stuff nowadays people catch a fire they jump off they go ah, jump off into the water and that's it but yeah, this was just like everyone was burning to death. Boats were crashing into each other, exploding. They're all trying to help each other, but then all actually dying in the water. And it was just like, oh, it was grim. And like, not, not in a bad way, but in a bad way. But, you know, just it was really well done to make you feel the pain of the people. And you're a bit like, this is a Bond film, man. This is this feels like some sort of weird 18 Al Pacino movie. <laughs> where people being tortured to death or something it was just like oh gave you that real sort of like oh this is a terrible terrible thing it's just like but yeah really well done <laughs> so after the train and the helicopter fight and the boat chase specter's last ditch effort to take out bond is to send number three, Rosa Klebb, disguised as a maid, to stab him with her shoe knife. Favorite villain moment? When Tatiana officially switches sides by attacking Rosa in the hotel room. And then you're like, phew, finally. He's been all the bad guys and he's done. Except for who's that? Who's his maid in his weird Venice hotel that he's hanging out in? It's, it's the lady from Spectre. The one with the knife shoes now. And at the end of the movie, Kleb ends up dancing with her footblade. And so we get to the final part of the film, really, where Bond has all of his stuff together. He's with the um, he's with the, uh, the weird, creepy Bond girl who just all he want, all she wants is for him to be pumping her for more information constantly. And they finally run into the old Russian lady, 
the member of Spectre. She's dressed as the cleaning lady. <laughs> and they start to fight. And um, yeah, Bond just suddenly turns into a lion tamer. <laughs> because she starts attacking him with her, with her famous knife shoe uh, and trying to sort of kick him in the shins of it. He gets a chair and just sort of like pins her down with it until eventually they kill her. <laughs> it was really funny. I was just thinking, yeah, all they have to do at this point is just give Bond a whip and be done with it. So they send an old lady to kill Bond. It's hilarious. And she comes at him with the knife shoes and you're like, oh man, such betrayal because you find out the girl really was a bad guy. She was really working for Spectre all along. Oh, James, you poor guy, you were starting to fall for her. But turns out, nope, she fell for James because if a woman hooks up with James Bond, she falls for him. So she becomes a good guy or a good girl and uh, distracts the Spectre agent long enough for Bond to get the upper hand. Until that moment, I didn't know where her allegiance lied. And it's always good to see the bad guy's plan foiled. Also, do they just have those foot blades in everybody's size or something? Uh, so yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I don't care what people say. The best gadget in this film, knife in your shoe. <laughs> you can use it to stab people and poison them. And you can use it to try and just like randomly weirdly kick your enemies like you're some sort of strange old lady. <laughs> what I really like about this is that this is actually one of those gadgets that existed in real life. Spies during the Cold War actually implemented things like this. One thing I would change about the film, nothing much, uh, just kind of something that I didn't know. The daggers that are in people's shoes, um, at no point do they make reference that they're poisonous. So that's kind of an interesting thing to me. I wish as a viewer I knew that, besides just finding out people die really quick after and wondering why. Ah, Venice. Oh, I do love Venice. <laughs> you know... <sighs> It's a shame we're locked down. You know, <laughs> if we're ever not locked down, you people should go visit Venice. It's lovely. And yeah, Bond just does his thing and has um, has sex in public with his Bond girl. You know, they're just on a boat in the middle of a canal in Venice. You know, they're kind of trying to imply they're in the bigger part of the river um, when they eventually go down to it. But I mean, someone's on the gondola. Someone's driving the gondola and they're just like going at it. Nice Bond. You're a classy man classy classy guy and then finally the movie ends with them in a boat hooking up just like the end of dr no that's two for two on james bond hooking up in a boat at the end of the movie i'm curious to see how that continues that's been from russia with love james bond shall return in gold finger Podcasters Assemble Season 003 is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably Podcast Network. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble by looking us up on Twitter at Casters Assemble or joining our Discord server, link in the show notes. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links where you can find them all online. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at Probably Work for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com. Tool.
whoever's editing this episode of Podcasters Assemble. I have my baby attached to me, so I might have to do multiple takes on a couple lines. Forgive me. This is Troidal Power from the best animated shows ever so far. Just perfect timing, bud. Way to ruin that take. Yeah, are you calling for your mama? Okay, let's try this again. This is Troidal Power from the best animated shows ever so far. All right. Well, it was an interesting thought, wasn't it, bud? We thought maybe we could do this. This is Troidal Power from the best animated shows ever. And then finally, the movie ends with them in a boat. I know, it's funny, buddy. You gotta let me finish saying it, though. And then finally, the movie ends with them in a boat, hooking up. Bond gets back from his uh, belly fighting, knife fighting, gun fight competition vacation. Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, Atticus? Did you like this part? That was cute. Do you want to say something? <coughs> yeah? <coughs> oh, yeah? Okay, you ready for me to record some more? You're going to be, your little squeaks are going to be all over this recording, buddy. No one's going to be able to edit that out.